It's handy to have those verses available in front of you as we pick our way through this text. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, what we like to do here at Foundation Church is to take each, each passage as it comes and, uh, and go at it and try and understand together uh, as people, as a community, what it means, what it's saying, and how we can live it out. Um, and that means that we don't, we don't jump over difficult bits or, 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 or you know, bits we'd rather not read. And, and here is one of those passages that I constantly struggle with personally. I'd rather not read it. But here we are. Can't get away from it. And this is God's word to all of us. And we've been looking through the book of James together as a church. I, I love the book of James. Uh, but as we've, we've seen week over the last few weeks, it is like a sledgehammer. And uh, we don't have to worry about what James really means uh, because he, he presents it so clearly to us very forcefully. Um, but anyway, what we're, what we're looking at is uh, through the book of James, or the letter rather, is um, this interplay between real religion, the religion of Jesus and the apostles and, and of all the scriptures, uh, the religion that puts Jesus at the center of your life and, and allows him to transform everything else. Um, there's that religion, and then there's the sort of fake religion, uh, which James is writing to the churches to try and help them distinguish. Uh, and we've, we've seen week after week that, that, that fake religion is something that we're always going to be struggling against. Uh, what is fake religion? It, it is the religion that looks Christian, it sounds Christian, you know, it may do some Christian things, uh, use Christian language, do Christian activities, that kind of thing. Um, but it can be easily performed by somebody whose heart and life is not given over to, to Jesus. It hasn't been internally transformed, just learned to sort of, uh, you know, in a, like a parrot, just learned a certain language. And it's not real religion. And we see that if you apply various tests to that kind of religion, it falls apart. And so what James is doing uh, chapter after chapter in, in this letter is, is, is offering us tests to tease apart. Uh, am I following the real religion of Jesus or am I following a fake version? Because my reaction to various tests will show me where I'm at. And, and, and God knows we need that here in, in this province, right, in this country. We need churches that are filled with people who understand the difference, who reject the fake religion, which has got us into so much trouble over the years, and, and embrace wholeheartedly heart, mind, and soul, real religion, uh, the religion of sacrifice and humility, not the religion of arrogance and external works, which is the fake stuff. And so we see, uh, we've been seeing uh, that religion uh, that James has for us, this real religion, uh, is a matter of internal stuff and a matter of external stuff. And we've, we've seen last week and a few weeks before, uh, good works very much are part of real religion. You know, it comes with faith, absolutely has to. Um, but today, we're turning now to the inner aspects of real religion. And it's all about words and speech. And, and James uses this extended metaphor of the tongue, the tongue. Christianity, of course, is a, is a, is a, is a religion that is spoken. It is a message to be communicated. It is a story to be told. Words are important in Christianity. And so we see that very clearly in how we use our tongue and how we communicate uh, together as a community on, on mission um, it's so important. So we're going to look uh, briefly under these four headings. They all begin with P. I was on fire this week. Practice of the tongue. We're going to look at the power of the tongue. We're going to look at the problem of the tongue and the purpose of the tongue. There you go. The practice, the power, the problem, and the purpose. First of all, the practice of the tongue. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. By the way, when it says my brothers, he's referring to all the people in the faith community, both men and women. That was just their way of, of communicating that. Friends, uh, sorry, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, not many of you should become teachers. Why not? Because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
as I've said, Christianity is all about the Word. We've, we've seen in our studies so far in the book of James, we are born again of the Word of God. We hear the Word of God. Uh, we, we receive the Word of God. We do the Word of God. The Word is important. Not many of you should become teachers, therefore. How important the Word is uh, to the Christian faith, to the real religion. And it's important that we have good teachers who understand the Word of God. It's an esteemed position. It was in, 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 in those days. It kind of is today, not so much maybe as it was in, in our grandparents' generation. Uh, to be a preacher or a, you know, a pastor or a minister was, was seen to be a, a wonderful, uh, uh, exalted role. Nowadays, you're almost looked on with extra um, uh, aggression you know, from, the, from, from the world, uh, someone who proclaims the, the Christian faith. Uh, with, with professionally, I suppose you could say. But, you know, it still stands that James and, and Paul and, and Jesus consider teaching to be a gift given to the church. Uh, Paul says that elders, pastors, are to be able to teach. That is their one qualification, if you like, that they can do, is to be able to teach the Word. And so James here is not trying to, trying to put us off uh, if you have aspirations to teach, um, whether it's, you know, within your family or, or more sort of... Uh, functionally within the church as well, in, in small groups or even, even teaching sermons. Paul is saying here, sorry, James is saying here, I'm not trying to put you off, I'm just trying to make sure your motives are right. Not many of you should become teachers. Don't do it for the prestige. Don't do it for the esteem. Don't do it for the glory or the celebrity that it will get you on Instagram. Why? Because we who teach will be judged more severely. Stands to reason. The more you know about God, and his glorious nature, the more will be expected from you on that final day. Jesus said himself in, in Luke 12, 48, um, everyone to whom much was given of much will be required, and those who are entrusted much, much more will be demanded. That seems to be the way it is in the kingdom of God. With what you have, the more you're given, the more will be required of you. Uh, of course, teachers spend a lot of time, as, as James says earlier in chapter 1, and they spend a lot of time looking into the perfect law of God, as it's called, the, the Word of God. Therefore, uh, the more you look, the more you study, the more you proclaim to teach and, 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 and communicate that to other people, um, the higher the standards that you'll be held to, according to James uh, here. The, the higher the level of visible holiness, the higher the level of moral example you'll be held to. Not that it doesn't apply to everybody, but those who proclaim to teach will be held to a higher account, it seems to be. Why is that important? Why am I emphasizing that at the start? Well, James puts it there, obviously, in verse 1. But uh, for those of you who, who may be aware, there's yet another story over the last week and a half of another high-profile church leader from an evangelical church, a gospel-centered, missional, evangelical church and church-planting network who has been dismissed because of spiritual abuse. Someone who has been using their tongue, a teacher of God's word, been using their tongue without restraint. A leader who has been coercing people, it seems, without restraint, has been acting as if chapter 3, verse 1 did not apply to them. And it's important for, for me to take note of this, of course, and for, for you to hold me to account and for you as well, if you have aspirations and, and a drive and a gifting to teach, it's important that we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We have to guard ourselves here. That's the practice of the tongue. And you might think, well, this, is, this sermon's all about preachers and teachers, but it doesn't apply to me. Well, actually, 
hold your tongue because uh, we're on to the next bit now, the power of the tongue. This is where James really gets going. He's taken a shot at the leaders and teachers. Okay, fine. Let's move on. The power of the tongue. Um, I, I, it, it is, it is uh, uh, just like James to write like this, um, giving these really colorful metaphors. The power of the tongue. We see the power of the tongue playing out in four different ways. It's influence, it's effect, it's untamability, and it's hypocrisy. Okay? We all have a tongue. And therefore, this applies to you. First of all, the power of the tongue in its influence. It is small but mighty in verses 3 to 5a. It is small but mighty. Uh, You know, we put a horse, uh, a bit into the horse of a mouth to control it. The bit is very small. The horse is very large. Uh, With a rudder, we control a huge ship on on the oceans. The rudder is very small. The ship is very large. Likewise, in the same way, says James, your tongue is the smallest member, uh, you know, it's a small part of your body, and yet it boasts of great things. It can, it, can, it can talk a good talk. It has great power to control the whole person. And this isn't an illegitimate boast, is it? Uh, the, the tongue has great power, great influence. And of course, it can be used for good. It can have a massive effect in the kingdom of God, in your life, in the lives of those around you. A massive good effect, or as we'll see, when it is used for evil, it can be utterly devastating, and yet the point he's getting at is that the tongue is very small, and yet has a disproportionate power. It can build up, or it can tear down in an instant, in a phrase. It can express deep love, or it can express coldness. Your tongue can encourage, or it can be critical. It has a great influence. Power of the tongue. In its influence, move on quickly. The effect, the power of the tongue and its effect. And we see in verses 5b and 6, we start to see the destruction your tongue with its influence can cause on your life and the lives of those around it. It says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. That is, your tongue, uh, under certain circumstances, can be an agent for rebellion It can be uh, used by the powers of darkness, a world of unrighteousness. The powers of darkness can uh, infiltrate and can uh, cause great damage through the way that you use your tongue and the way that you speak to others and about others. A world of unrighteousness. That is is a a biblical metaphor for uh, the world of darkness, the world outside of the kingdom of God. And there it is in your mouth with great power and great influence. And it can be an infiltrator. And it can destroy. It says there, it uses this, again, this metaphor of fire. It can destroy you and those around you by burning them up. The primary focus there, look, is staining the whole body. It says uh, in verse 6, that's how bad your tongue can be. Your, your entire person, your entire being can be uh, stained and, and influenced by your tongue, and it can stain and, 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 and put on fire the entire course of your life. So all of you, for all of your life, can be effectively burned up, can be consumed. And again, James doesn't leave us in any doubt. He says it is set on fire by hell. Okay, The powers of darkness can control your tongue so that it will affect your entire body and the entire course of your life and those around you. And as I say, we don't have to worry about James, what James is really thinking here. It's so obvious. 
It is harsh, but that's what we see. We get the image of, of the tongue being like a touch paper or dry wood, just waiting to be engulfed by a little spark. Um, we, we, we got loads of information didn't we, earlier on, on this year about the forest fires in Australia. Maybe you know people who live there. Maybe you visited Australia yourselves and the parts that are being consumed by these um, forest fires growing, consuming. Day after day, they seem to take over more and more land, engulfing more and more of the, the precious habitats. Uh, they, they, they get forest fires uh, as part of the season. Part of the, they expect this, and yet the, the extent of these fires, the number of them, um, they just were not prepared. They engulfed so much of the natural habitat, and there's nothing that could be done about it. Once these fires get going, they just have to wait with their arms at one length, waiting for them to burn themselves out if that would happen or if rain would come. And James is saying that the power of your tongue can achieve similar destruction on you and those around you. And just think for a moment of the damage that that can do, not only to you, but to, to those in your church and those that you choose to, 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 to do life with in community if your tongue is used by a world of unrighteousness. It's power and its influence, small but mighty. It's power and its effect, great destruction. Its power is seen in its untamability. I don't even know if that's a real word. You have a degree in English, don't you, Rachel? Is that a real word? Don't think so. It is now. It is now. Uh, untamability. Uh, verses 7 and 8. He, he, again, sort of switches the metaphor a little bit and, and, and shows these images. Every kind of, of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You know, humankind has mastered pretty much, you know, as far as he's concerned, every animal that ever existed. Tameable, you can catch it, you can put it in a, in a cage, you can, you, can, you can humble it. But no human being, no human being has been able to tame the tongue in comparison to the great beasts, the, you know, the great elephants, the rhinos, the great beasts of, uh, of Africa, etc. So much power, and yet they can be contained, whereas the tongue, it is a restless evil. Kind of get this image again of this, the tongue being like a caged animal, you know, ready to pounce, ready, always looking for ways to destroy. It's full of poison, he says. You can't tame the tongue. And finally, we see the power of the tongue in hypocrisy. And I, this, this it, it cuts deep, and I think this is probably the most vile part of the tongue, is its hypocrisy. You see that in verses 9 through 12. Utter hypocrisy is capable from your tongue, from your mouth. It says in one moment, you can be praising God, hallelujah. And in the next moment, you could be blaspheming someone who is made in his image, effectively cursing God. And out of your mouth can come, if, particularly if you're a church person, particularly if you're a follower of fake religion. Out of your mouth can come praises to God and can come cursings to God. Back to back, simultaneously. James doesn't get it. I don't get it. But we do it. We know it. He says, my brothers, how, this, how can it be? This cannot be so. Do you see the public tone? He said he's addressing the community, isn't he? He's addressing those in church. How can this be, friends, brothers and sisters? How, how much this must sting our consciences as we read these words? As I say, James is not behind the door when, when it comes to what he really believes and teaches. 
especially those of us who teach, those of us who lead worship, uh, those of us who have some form of responsibility or upfront role or desire those things, how much this must sting our consciences. I remember when I was um, doing some study on this particular text and I was just sort of going through it. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is really going to preach. There's so much metaphor here. It's really, uh, you know, really florid. The language, wonderful. Thank you, God. And uh, I packed up, packed up my bags, put my laptop away, got in the car, was just leaving my house. And uh, we, we, we used to live until very recently in an apartment. <clears throat> I was taking the bins out to the communal bins, as you do, in the apartment. And uh, just been reading all this stuff. And praise God, wonderful. Thank you, Lord. This is so great, your word. Oh, awesome. And then uh, I was just driving to the bins, and there was a woman behind me in her car, and uh, she just drove a bit too close to me. That was all. As we were coming out, she obviously wanted to get on. She was in a rush, and I was wanting to stop for the bins. And uh, right there in that moment, I won't tell you exactly what I said in my heart, but I cursed her. I cursed her. You know, damn you. Um, angry, just, just, just out of nowhere, erupted like a volcano. You know, and I'd moments ago just been studying the Word of God, not only any part of the Word of God, but this part about the hypocrisy of a tongue, how you can bless in one moment and curse in another. And that's why I'm not looking forward to preaching this message to you. Because it cuts deep, right? The tongue is capable of terrible hypocrisy. But praise God, there is grace for all of us. So we've seen the practice of the tongue, especially for those who um, want to preach and teach the Word of God. We've seen the power of the tongue, small but mighty. It's great influence. It's great damage it can cause. Let's look now at the problem of the tongue. Maybe you're thinking this is a damning assessment of the church. Uh, don't forget, James isn't just uh, thinking, oh, what shall I write to the churches? Or oh, maybe I'll write something about the tongue. He, he's writing this to the churches that he knows because he sees this as a problem. He sees this already happening, and he is writing to try and uh, curtail it, to try and bring um, people to, to faith and repentance. He sees this already, and if he sees it in his churches, then you can bet your bottom dollar it is here, present with us, in, in, in us, together. What is the problem? Well, James uh, leaves us with a profound sense of unease about ourselves and about our, our, our tongues, maybe even a dislike or a hatred for our tongues. Maybe we think to ourselves, you know what, it's just better if we don't speak at all than speak something wrong or, or because you know, this is an uncontrollable, powerful thing that we can't do anything about. Maybe the problem is our tongue. Maybe we should just chop off our tongues. Maybe we should take a vow of silence like these monks that go into the monastery and, and never speak or do anything uh, verbally. And it might be painful to, to have your tongue chopped off, but perhaps it's worth it because then at least there's one part of God's word that we can, can keep. Some friends of mine once visited uh, uh, a member of their church in a, in a psychiatric hospital. He was uh, in one of the wards there. And as they were visiting this man, this other chap was, 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 was going around on the wards, and he was missing both of his middle fingers. And uh, they asked the patient, their friend, who was a member of their church, why, why is he missing his middle fingers? And it turns out that this guy, um, who's mentally unwell, but he decided to chop off his middle fingers so that he could no longer give offensive signs to people. Um, and he thought that, that would be the best way to do it, is to chop. Therefore, if I chop it off, then you know, I, can't, I can't give the... The, the sign to people. Um, is, that, is that really what we should be doing? Should we be sort of, uh, you know, maiming ourselves or, 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 or taking a vow of silence so that we don't use our tongues in this terrible way that James is talking about? Well, unfortunately, we can't do that. 
um, Matthew 12, 34, uh, Jesus says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What he's saying is, out of the overflow of your heart, what's going on in your heart is what you will speak. If your heart is full of love and grace and joy, then your speech will be full of love and grace and joy. If your heart is full of criticism and coldness, then you will speak criticism and coldness. If your heart is full of aggression and evil, then your speech will be just like that. So our tongues are really a metaphor for a deeper problem, a heart condition, and we can't simply do that. We can't maim ourselves. It'll make no difference at all. Our speech is a commentary on what is going on on the inside. And if you're following the fake religion, of course, then you can flip in and out. You, you, at one moment, you can curse. The next minute, you can bless. You can get away with it, you think. And, and that, that's, all, that's all you care about. But you do that because your heart is not fully with God. It has not been transformed by him. We, we were talking earlier on about Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet. And he, he had this exposure during a vision to the ground-shaking holiness, the supreme glory of God. It, it transformed his entire life. It started at the beginning of his prophetic ministry. It was an unforgettable, life-changing moment. He saw the, the supreme glory of God coming down and filling the temple. It was so thick, you could almost cut it with a knife. The glory of God it was so weighty, it was so heavy. And his instant response, as, as, we, as we saw, was not... Oh, God, this is awesome. More of you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. That was not his response, was it? When, when we read uh, his, his account of the revelation, his initial response to the thick, weighty, impacting glory of God was, woe is me. I am lost. I am dead. I, I am I'm undone. I am unwound. Dissolve me. That was his response. I am eternally condemned in the presence, the thickness, the, the fire, the heat of God's glory. Why was that his response? Why was that his response to this experience, this revelation? Well, he goes on to explain, I am a man of unclean what? Unclean lips, he says. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. And there he was, rooted to the ground, terrified in the awesome presence of God, and he could do nothing except pronounce woe on himself because he realized he could do nothing to change himself. He was so aware of his sin, particularly his speech, his lips. His speech condemned him in the presence of God. His tongue was being used in ways that James described. And yet, the vision carries on. And in the vision, in the, in the heavenly throne room, one of the great heavenly creatures called a, a seraph flew to him with a burning coal from the altar before God and took this burning coal and he touched Isaiah's lips. And the seraphim said, or the seraph said to Isaiah in the vision, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. What was going on? What was all this metaphor? Well, it's more than metaphor, but all these graphic pictures. God was saying to Isaiah, throughout this vision, 
I have burned away the evil from your mouth. I have purged you of the dross. I have purified your tongue so that you can now go out from my presence and speak of me with purity. Folks, if we together as a community are to reject this hypocritical, destructive use of our tongues, we must have our mouths, our tongues seared by the heat of the coal, just like Isaiah did, in order for our mouths, our, our speech to be purified, to be fit for God's purposes. Of course, just to be clear, we can't do this by technique. We can't pick up the burning coal ourselves and think we can just hold it there for a few moments till it does the job and then put it down again. That's not what we're able to do. I, was, I, I, I like a... Uh, a good deal on my mobile phone and, and other household utilities. And I like going on moneysavingexpert.com. You should check it out. And on there, I found a great deal for a new SIM only for my, for my phone. And this, the SIM card came through my door. And it said <clears throat> on the front of it, I decide, I change, I save. And I was pretty chuffed with myself because I was saving £2.50 per month on my uh, mobile phone SIM only deal, which is great. And that's, you know, £2.50 is, uh, is, is, is no small amount of money. So... Uh, I was really chuffed with that. But that phrase sums up much of what James is teaching us about fake religion. I decide, I change, I save. You see, fake religion thinks that if there is a problem in your life, that you can, you can tackle it on your own. Because if you follow fake religion, whatever issues that the Bible may describe in your, in your own heart or life, or whatever, they're not that big. You can, you can deal with it on your own, a bit of lifestyle modification, make a few tweaks in your diet or in your, in your, your week-to-week regime, whatever it happens to be. You can, you can fix it. You can do it. We can do this. Come on. That's what we say. Just be better. Turn over a new leaf. Give some more money to charity and everything will be well. But do you think Isaiah, when he was in the thick, woe-inducing glory of God, said, I decide, I change, I save? No, he did not. Because he knew that you cannot tame this restless animal, this, this evil. It needs to be atoned for from, from somewhere else. Power from outside of you has to come to do what only God can do. We, we saw last year in our, in our study through the book of Acts, uh, the, the, sort of the, the, the accounts of the early church. Um, we saw in Acts chapter 2, uh, the, 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 the disciples, numbering probably 100 or so, were, were together. Uh, they were waiting for the promise that Jesus gave them. Of course, Jesus, by this time, had, had uh, gone through his earthly ministry. He'd been nailed to a cross. He'd died. He'd been risen, uh, rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He had made atonement for sin. That's what they said. But the promise was, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power from my Father. And it says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, Acts chapter 2, they're all gathered together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them, and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is this? The crowd said. We hear in our own tongues the mighty works of God being declared. 
what happened on the day of Pentecost? New tongues. New tongues. Yes, tongues of fire, this visible representation of the Holy Spirit uh, was descending upon them, giving them the ability to speak in new languages so they might declare the glories of God. Jesus himself in the Spirit descending, poured out upon them, burning, holiness, purifying presence, searing heat, poured out in unprecedented ways. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. And just like Isaiah, those who have received the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ have had their sins atoned for because of what he did for them. Their sins past, present, and future because of Jesus. If you have faith in him, your lips are cleansed. Your tongue is renewed. Tremendous damage can be done and may have been done by your words, by your heart, by your actions. May have been done by you, may have been done to you from others who have used their tongues in similar ways, who have broken down parts of your life that you struggle to rebuild on your own strength. The good news of the Christian faith is that because of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and his sending of the Holy Spirit, you can be forgiven of the sinful ways that you have used your tongues to bless and curse at the same time, to break down rather than build up. You can be forgiven of that. You can be released when others have used their tongues to break you down, to discourage you, to be critical of you, to cause you to believe lies about yourself that you have been trapped in for many years. Jesus can release you, and he has provided all that you need. You just need to receive him by faith and trust. We'll do that. We'll think about that at the end of the message. So we thought about the purpose, sorry, we thought about the practice, thought about the power, we thought about the problem, and finally we're going to look at the purpose of the tongue. The purpose of the tongue. Can you see what happened to the apostles when their sins were atoned for, when they received the tongues of the Holy Spirit? They proclaimed the mighty works of God. That's what they did. Can you see what happened to Isaiah when his sin was atoned for? Later on in Isaiah 6, he says, here I am, send me. God was asking, who can we send out in our name to to go and and, and bring the message? And he says, here I am, send me. Can you see how a tongue can be used for great effect in the kingdom of God when it has been atoned for? Can you see the influence it can have? Small but mighty. Can you see the power it can have throughout your whole body, throughout your whole life? Imagine having a tongue that is single-minded in its praise to God, that is used uniquely for blessing God, that is used singly for building people up in your community, not tearing them down. Imagine only ever using your tongue, the phenomenal power that is in your tongue, in your speech, for utter good, speaking life to one another, to your spouse, to your family, to your friends. One man who certainly understood the power of the tongue is a guy by the name of Charles Wesley. He was one of the the early leaders of of the great revivals that went through um, parts of the UK, Britain at the time, America, parts of Ireland in the 18th century. And he was, among other things, he was a preacher and he was a leader, but he was a songwriter and he wrote many famous hymns that we still sing and love today. 
but he was grasped by the good news of Jesus. He received the Holy Spirit, and he understood the power of a tongue. He said this in one of his most famous hymns. He said, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. One tongue is not enough when you understand Jesus. Give me a thousand. That's what he said. The Apostle Paul similarly envisaged the day, he said, when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the effect of your tongue when it has been cleansed, atoned for by the Holy Spirit. Oh God, for a, for a church full of people, full of God, praising proclaiming, praying, building one another up with earthly tongues, with heavenly tongues. Can you just imagine the culture, the feel of such a community? That's what God has started to build here at Foundation Church, by the way. Maybe you look at yourself through this text. You look at your life and you you see nothing but inconsistency. Maybe for you this is is deeply personal or or very relevant, where you struggle with your speech and your words. Your tongue just seems to flip in and out of praise one minute, curse the next. Praise one minute, curse the next. God is good. God is not good. God is good. You are evil. Maybe you doubt when you honestly look at yourself and as we're talking about these things together, maybe you doubt that your sin really has been atoned for. Folks, this is the dividing line between real religion and fake religion. Before I explain what I mean by that, there is a lifeline for us. Look down with me at James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Do you notice that he uses inclusive language there? We all stumble in many ways. James is saying, this is James, the brother of Jesus, writer of Scripture. I struggle. We all struggle. This is something that none of us are immune to. James himself struggles. But the difference is, and here it is, here's the difference between fake religion and real religion. Here is where the rubber hits the road. Is when you realize what's going on, what is your response? If you follow the fake religion and you have a mixed tongue, then it will be a pattern in your life. Praise one minute, curse the next. It will be a trend, but it will be a trend that you are comfortable with. It will be a pattern that does not stir you. You are carefree when you think of the use of your tongue. It doesn't trouble you. You're not moved. You're unwilling to change. You don't think it's a big problem. I change. I decide. I save. That's what you say. However, if you follow the real religion of Jesus and his apostles, the religion of the Bible and you realize the way your tongue is flipping in and out and is, is hypocritical and, and, and causing damage and destruction, 
If you're following real religion, then that will cause you grief. Um, it will cause you to recoil at the thought of what you're doing with your speech. If you're following real religion, you will come before God and you will say, woe is me. I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips. How can someone like me be in your presence? How can someone like me sing these words and mean them? But folks, friends, that is a sign that you are following the real religion. Because you hear the word, you listen to the word, you receive the word, and you are unsatisfied with your life in comparison to what God has for you. If you follow fake religion, then quite simply you're going nowhere. If you follow real religion, then you will make progress in this through grace. It's progress, it's perseverance, but it's not perfectionism. Are you earnestly struggling forward by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to tame your tongue that Jesus has died for, that he has purified by his Spirit? That is how you tell the difference, if it bothers you or if it doesn't bother you, if you're willing and desiring to move forward with his power and with his help or, or not. We as a church quite often say that we are a community on mission, and what we mean by that is that we are a group together. We are together. We're in this together. We express that through uh, local church membership, by, and part of that is giving one another, when we come into membership, is giving one another permission to hold one another accountable to Scripture. We're holding one another accountable in community about the use of our talk and our words. Are we building one another up? Are we tearing one another down? And if we are building up, we encourage that. If we are tearing down, we get alongside and we say, hey, brother, sister, we're in this together. And, and the way you're using your tongue right now is not good. It is not what you are. You're, you're a son or you're a daughter of the king. This is not language that we expect from a son or a daughter of the king. That's what we do. That, that is us, community on mission means more than that, but that's one of the things we do. Are we going to be a community that is famous for honoring Jesus with our words? Or are we going to bring shame on Jesus because of our words? And so for us, local church membership is the framework for, for this strengthening aspect to our community. But let's take it and finish with this a bit more personally. How are you getting on in this department? How are you using your tongue? your speech? Is there great inconsistency in your life and, and you realize that? Is there hypocrisy in your life and you're realizing that? Well, may I encourage you that in the gospel, because of Jesus, there is grace, there is forgiveness. A thousand times I fail, but your mercy continues. We can say that because of Jesus. We are in a church. This is a community planted on the good news of Jesus with fellow members, brothers and sisters who will walk alongside you, that will help you to become a better disciple of Jesus. A church where you can find wise counsel, where you can come, across, come up against mature believers who can point you towards Jesus. This is a church that, that, that feasts on the means of grace through the Word of God and the sacrament. We receive the Holy Spirit of God. We're a church that's not just hearers of the Word, we're a church of doers. How are you using your tongue? Let's pray.
Father God, we have been created in your image to know you, to hear your voice, and like no other, we have been created to speak back to you. Father, what a great gift, what great honor and dignity you have bestowed upon us to be able to speak after you. Father God, we are sorry for the use of our tongues, these great instruments and tools that can be used to build up your kingdom, and yet we use it shamefully to work against you in the way we speak of you and speak of others and speak of those closest to us. Lord, we are truly sorry. We confess our sins and we turn again to you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for a cleansing, for an atoning presence. If that is for the first time when we receive Jesus by faith, affirm and assure us that we have been cleansed because of his work. And if we have fallen away and if we have stumbled and if we have realized perhaps for the first time that this is a, a sin, this is a challenge, this is an issue in our lives, we come again to you, Lord Jesus. You have finished the work. So would you apply that afresh to us, Holy Spirit? Remind us of who we are. Remind us of what you've done. Fill our hearts with love and knowledge of Jesus. Set us ablaze. Use our tongues to your praise and worship to build each other up and to share the love of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to do that just now through two means. We're going to sing together. We're going to enjoy Jesus as we um, pray. And this is a prayer. Stir a passion in my heart. And we're going to sing that together. And i um, love you to take those words into yourself as well as a response to, to this message. And also, um, we're going to take the bread and the wine, another gift that Jesus gives us to build us up. As we feast on Jesus by faith, as we put that stuff into our mouths, we are reminded very physically of what Jesus has, has done for us. His body broken in our mouths, his blood poured out. And we, we, we take that in, we chew it, we, we receive it into ourselves. And, and, and in so we are reminded of, of spiritually what Jesus has done for us. So this is, anyone, anyone who's a member here at the church, or if you're a visitor with us and you're a membership elsewhere, we'd love you to come and take the bread and the wine and, and do that at any point during these next two songs. And let's all stand, let's, let's, let's um, respond together through song and through the sacrament. Let's pray.